with, with uh, setting apart of the person themselves unto God. This is the, the term sanctification has to do with something that is set apart to God. Set apart to God. The key word is separation. And by uh, virtue of that, it is said to be holy or holiness. If that, if that helps you to give an understanding. So, if we say that, uh, that we are sanctified, why, this means that we are set apart unto God. Uh, there's uh, several verses of Scripture. Sanctify your hearts. What does it mean to sanctify your hearts? It means to set your heart apart for God. If you sanctify your person. Uh, Moses, when the children of Israel were going to uh, go up into the... Uh, uh, or when, uh, when they were going to, uh, God was going to appear to them in Mount Sinai, he said, sanctify yourselves. And so he gave them some specific terms for three days. They were to purify themselves. The husbands were not to enter into relationship with the wives. They were to, to uh, prepare themselves or set themselves apart for a meeting with God. You, you, you understand that or, or follow that? Okay. Now, in, in, in the term uh, concerning you and I, when you and I are sanctified, uh, that means that uh, the moment that we receive Jesus Christ is that that uh, the Holy Spirit sets us apart for God. And from that moment, we are marked for God. We're not the devil's property. We're not of his kingdom. He loses his claim on us. He has no legal right to us. From that moment, we're translated from the dominion of the devil into the dominion of Jesus Christ. And so there is that... Uh, there is that... Um, uh, there is that uh, element uh, as to the actual uh, holiness because you and I know that we are not holy. <laughs> if you want to debate, I'll debate you on that. I won't have to ask more than three questions. You'll find out that the Spirit of God lets you know you're not holy. If you're going to be holy, it's something that God is going to have to do. So... Uh, uh, here, here, and we're talking about in, in this, uh, in the first element of it there, is that this separation is something that God has done. He said that because of our belief in Jesus Christ, then He has sanctified us unto Himself. But secondly, He's not satisfied to just leave us that way, thank God. But He says, I... whiskey anymore. I want you to quit doing grass. I want you to quit eating speed. I want you to quit uh, cussing. I all of these things that he does, it doesn't mean that you lose the capability of doing that. But it means that now, by because of this, the Holy Spirit not only has done this legally, but now begins to do it actually. And those habits that you fought all your life, now the Spirit of God comes in and uh, enables you to be actually uh, or, those, or, or the actual processes or the benefits, um, searching for words, uh, uh, in actuality, uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, begins to transpire. And then not only the outward, uh, external, grosser sins, but some of the subtle things, such as deception, pride, lying, 
put a good haircut on and, uh, and uh, drive around in a nice slick car and still possess all of these and look like an upright citizen or all there, then they actually begin to uh, drop away because of the action of the Holy Spirit. You follow that? All right, now that is uh, the actual workings of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit begins to work in you to sanctify or set you apart actually unto God. Then, thirdly, the estate there is when Jesus comes, to, comes again, that's going to be finished. We shall be changed in a moment, in an atom of time. This corruption shall put on incorruption, and we shall be changed. That's not only our physical bodies, that's our entire being. From that moment, no more battle with sin. From that moment, no more battle with temptation. From that moment, the flesh gives no more problem. If you're honest, that's really a day to look forward to. <laughs> I see I'm on a note of sympathy there. Okay, so that's the three uh, segments of sanctification. Okay? Salvation uh, has to do more with the penalty or with the, with the, uh, uh, with the actual uh, substance of sin. However, uh, there's a, you'll, you'll immediately recognize that, there, that, that this, this hasn't, doesn't have to do with the holiness part of it, but the actual... Uh, problem of sin itself as, as, as it is a force or a power. There, first of all, in saved, we are saved from the guilt and the, and, the, and the penalty of sin in the past. But not only that, but we are saved, being saved, immediately from these sins. And then uh, we shall be saved, which is the future tense. So you'll see that there's a, there's a correlation there uh, that runs very closely together. that answer your question? Okay. And this will bless you to study this. Don't just, just shrug this off and say, well, I'm not going to be a preacher or, or, or I'm not going to ever teach a, a Bible school, so I don't need to know this. These, these, these words will bless you. And the word, the word of God is such a beautiful book that the more you study it, it's like a beautiful flower. It just begins to unfold, and it's a never-ending treasure. Thank God. You can pick up that book, and all of a sudden, a light drops from heaven, and uh, the beauty of the Word of God, you become more convinced every year of the, of the supernatural authorship of the Holy Spirit in the, writing the Word of God. And so all of these studies, there's no wasted time in studying God's Word. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a treasure mine that the more you study, the richer it gets. And it's not like, a, it's not like this world's gold mines. You, you hit a mother load and, and you, you think you're going to have it forever and all of a sudden it just piddles out to nothing. And it's a dead hole. Arizona's filled with dry holes. They used to be gold mines and silver mines and so on, and they're nothing today. But not so this book. So you need to study these things. Sister? Well... That's where it helps to study Scripture because uh, sometimes the Scripture in talking about one thing, uh, uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're not following along and correlating that with other Scripture, uh, then you don't follow. But it says if, if we say that we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. Right? Okay. And so Paul said, uh, I'm the, 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 uh, the, uh, for this purpose Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. But thank God it doesn't end there. See, because we are sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. 
right? And it does not appear what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall see him as he is. So we are, yes, but saved by grace. Yes. No. Nope. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, good question. All right, we want to go on with our study this morning and study the word mercy. The word mercy. I both those P's on back together. Sure sounds funny. Mercy. The word mercy is a beautiful word. It's the word elios and technically is the outward manifestation of pity. assumes need on the part of him who receives it and it assumes adequate resources or ability to meet that need on the part of him who shows it. Mercy. First of all, let's talk about the need for mercy. And by doing this, we get a picture of man's true condition. Someone over here get for me Isaiah 1-6. Anybody over here like to get this for me? Tom Thompson, Isaiah 1-6. And uh, someone want to get for me Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10, and we're going to all follow along with that scripture that we turn to. Brian, would you like to get that for me? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. One of the greatest needs that you and I have is for mercy. God have mercy. And without mercy, there's no hope for creatures like you and I. We need mercy. You ever talk to anybody and they said, uh, Well, I'm not a sinner. I don't need God. Really? <laughs> well, God love you. You're going to need Him. And to the person, I've seen it over and over and over and over again, to the person that says, I don't need God. And they'll look at the condition uh, of the human race. And they'll say, uh, Too bad about the young people. Am I in that pitiful? Well, that's not mercy. Uh, I don't know really what that is. James speaks of this kind of person when he says there comes in a brother or sister that's destitute of daily food and you say, well, be you warmed and filled. God bless you. We're going to be praying for you. See, that is not mercy. But mercy is caring enough to do something about it. That's what mercy is. Okay? And the Scripture declares that God, who looked upon us, had mercy on us and initiated something to change the condition of man's estate. 
Thank God for the gospel. Can you say amen? Beautiful, beautiful story in this film tonight. Don't you miss this film. How many of you have seen this film, incidentally? Boy, it is a zinger. Praise God. Stir your heart. One of the beautiful illustrations is Abraham in obedience to God, giving his own son. A beautiful illustration that God, and you just can't help but feel that, although it's never said in the film, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, God cared enough about our condition. He had enough mercy that he did something about it. pay the price, had to pay the bill, someone had to die the death of sinners. And that's the gospel story. All right, let's look at several scriptures. Over here, Luke 1, uh, 71 and 72. Would someone like to get that for me over on this side? Danny Brown would get that for me. I want Luke 1, 50. Luke 1, 50. Dave Burke. I'd like uh, Titus 3, 5. Uh, Sam Atherton. I'd like Psalms 103, 13. Kathy, uh, uh, not Kathy, but uh, Van Dyke, Brother Van Dyke. Psalms 103:13, and then I'd like someone to get for us Luke 10:25 through 37. Someone like to get that for us? Praise God. Uh, Mark Hamilton, Luke 10:25 through 37. God. Caring enough about man's condition to do something about it. You see, it's a, uh, it's, it's a travesty on the gospel of Jesus Christ for you and I to say we believe the gospel and then be unmoved at the condition of man's sin and be unmoved at the lost estate of sinful hearts, to be unmoved at the condition of those that are in school with us, those that work with us, those in our family, and just say, well, so what? See, you're a denial of the very God that you claim to know personally. Because if God does indeed live in you, you cannot be unmoved by the sinful condition of man. You'll do everything in your power, you'll do everything within your grasp to see that that condition is changed and that estate is done away with. Luke 1, 71 and 72. Talking about the prophets of old, here in the gospel as it pertains to Jesus Christ and His coming, the prophecies come that we should be saved from our enemies and that God should perform the mercy which was promised to our fathers. Okay, Luke one fifty. And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
But according to His mercy, He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It is mercy that moves God to undertake, or this is the thing, His pity manifests itself in mercy. Okay? Uh, Psalms 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his child, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. How many of you would have a child? And you say to that child, too bad. See, there isn't a parent. This doesn't mean that you don't have to discipline. This doesn't mean that there are things that you may have to deny for their benefit. But there's not a parent that when their children are destitute, their children are desperate, their children are in trouble, whose heart cannot be moved because of the pity that they have. Amen? This be so, how much more shall our Heavenly Father look down on His children and pity them that fear Him? Okay, then we have a classic illustration in Luke 10, and we need to look at that as Mark Hamilton reads this for us in a loud, clear voice. Is a beautiful illustration of the very word we're talking about, mercy. See, you can be religious, but not be godlike. He that had mercy on him. All right, here's the picture. Uh, a man started traveling down across the wilderness of Judea on the road to Jericho. There's a section of the road there that was notorious called the Way of Blood because it was a place where robbers uh, attacked and uh, uh, stragglers and caravans and so on and so forth. They made their living by murdering or robbing people that came by. So Jesus tells this story. And perhaps uh, that uh, it was a story that they would have been familiar with. And he says that a certain man started down there and thieves jumped on him. They stripped him, robbed him, beat him, and left him half dead and left him there as a matter of fact to die. So here he stands injured or lays there uh, injured. Here he lays there bleeding. Here he lays there in desperate condition. And so a priest comes, starts uh, coming by that way. And when he sees him laying there, he is holy. He's too holy for God. And so he sees him and he said, I can't be involved with that. Uh, I'll be able to be defiled if I go, if I go touch uh, this, uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, carcass. And so he won't even go near. He, just, uh, he makes a large pathway out of the way and goes on his way. Then a little while later comes a Levite. He's a, he's a religious worker also. And so he comes and looks on him, but he doesn't do anything about it. He says, well, that's too bad. Uh, uh, it's a pity that things like this, that our world's like that. I don't know what this world's coming to. There's a man laying here bleeding and, and dying. Well, it's too bad, uh, but I've got to go on my way. And he leaves him laying there in that condition. But then comes along a Samaritan. Now, to get a feeling of this, Samaritans were despised by the Jews of Jesus' day. They weren't thought to have any religion of any kind, and what they had was bad. And uh, they, were, uh, they were despised. They were looked at as unclean. 
They were looked at as not having a chance of getting into heaven. They were looked at as a, as a people that were defiled. They were impure. Their land was filled with the unholy rites and idolatry. And so a Samaritan comes along that way. He sees this fellow this way. Here's a man that they said would have no religion. He'd never make heaven his home. He couldn't actually know God or, or have any of the qualities or attributes that God is pleased with. But he stops. And when he stops, he binds up his wounds, cleans them out, pours in oil and wine, gets off of his donkey, puts this man on his donkey, and takes him to the nearest inn or motel or hotel or whatever the stopping place was. Puts him there in the care of the innkeeper, says, take care of this fellow till he gets, uh, uh, gets well. Here's some money that should cover the expenses, and if perhaps this is not enough. When I come this way again, I'll pay whatever I owe you, but you take care of him till he gets well. So Jesus said to him now, who was neighbor unto him? See, the question became, who am I responsible to show mercy on? That surely not this or surely not that. And so Jesus sets them this condition and he said, Now who was neighbor to him? That's the question. Not who is my neighbor. Who was neighbor to him? And he said, I suppose him that showed mercy on him. And he said, Go thou and do likewise. Okay, this is what mercy is then, it's an action, it's not a doctrine, it's not a creed, it's not an institutional belief. See, I, I have no doubt if you'd ask uh, many religious, deeply religious people who would say, uh, do you believe in mercy? They would say, of course, we operate hospitals and, and, uh, so, and, uh, and, uh, and welfare all over the world. But see, that's what the problem has become with this beautiful, simple gospel of Jesus Christ has become institutionalized. If you would ask them, does your church believe in evangelizing the lost? They would say, of course we do. We give $10,000 submissions every year. Does your church believe in, in helping the poor? Of course we do. We have a uh, commissary fund. <laughs> Amen. Do you believe it's your responsibility to reach out to all the world? Well, of course. We give money to TV. Are you following me? See, the vast majority of those people who claim themselves to be Christians have institutionalized this process and it has removed it from the personal responsibility. They never witness or try to win anybody to Jesus, but they give money for that. That relieves them of their responsibility. Ah, oh, but friend of mine, God wants more than money. He wants you. And if He doesn't have you, your money will soon cease to be effective. God wants you to do something about the people who are involved. And so here's this beautiful, beautiful illustration. So it's not an emotion. It's an action. It's caring enough to help. Okay, let's have some questions about there. Anybody have any input or questions at that point? Dave Burke.
Amen. Well, it doesn't matter what side of town. We're talking about... Uh, it doesn't matter. You can move to the side of town and the town can be with you. But we're talking about a, a precept. And that is that regardless of where we're located, we have a responsibility to the needy uh, parts of society. And uh, part of that side of town's up in the jail. There's a jail ministry that's up there this morning trying to reach some of the desperate elements of society that society cannot help. Can't do anything with it. Every worker in penal institution today will say, there's nothing we can do. Rehabilitation is a total failure to flop. These people are incorrigible criminals, and there's nothing that we can do to do about it. The only thing we can do is build bigger, larger prisons and, uh, and uh, lock them away. See, we had, a, we had a man baptized last Sunday night who's a murderer. This man has uh, the, the affairs of life, have gripped him, and he's trapped. And this man... Uh, he is uh, under the sentence for murder. And you heard confess out of his own mouth, I did not know that such a church as this existed. Why? He's not from this city. He's from another city. The reason is, is because the church has locked itself behind four walls and does not become involved with humanity. And as a process of that, have lost the touch with humanity. Now, I did not say that they're not involved. They are involved. They are involved in, in institutions. They're involved in organizations. They're involved in, uh, in groups. But you see what the real danger of Christianity is, beloved, is that we be not personally involved in the business of evangelism and reaching the lost. But we can function simply by coming to church and putting our bread in the plate and saying a pious prayer for the needs of society. If you don't believe that, come down on the park sometime with an outreach. Thank you, Jesus. If you don't believe that, go sometime when the guerrilla teams sign up. And I can already tell you who will sign up for the guerrilla teams. Almost known by heart. You know why? Because it's the same ones every time. Why? Because we don't want to become involved. We'd rather come to church and put our bread in there. And say, do you do anything about the lost? Of course I do. Our church has an extensive outreach ministry. We're planting churches all over the world. We've got two, two in Mexico, three in Mexico. We've got some over in New Mexico, and we've even got one in California. And uh, tremendous, our church has tremendous outreaches. What are you doing about this? <clears throat> well, I'm pretty busy. But I give money. Well, God needs money, but He needs you a lot worse than He needs money. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Well, it's getting real nervous in here. Mercy. Okay, why should I do that? Well, let's move on before we finish with our lesson this morning. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Tells about our high priest, Jesus. I got sidetracked and got to preach in there. Uh, our high priest, Jesus who went through 
all of this experience, and he has not forgotten what he was digged out of. This is why uh, that the most vibrant and the most enthusiastic evangelists for the Lord Jesus are those that are pulled out of lives of deep sin. Is because they have an appreciation of how it is to hurt. See, there isn't anything that stirs me more than to realize that I lived in Prescott, Arizona, was raised in this town, not one single soul ever made an attempt to reach me for Christ. I went to school with people who professed Christianity. I was in the armed forces with people that professed Christianity, but no one thought that I was a redeemable case. I came from a broken home, but no one. I have never forgotten. See, the moment I got saved, I said, I, I felt violated. I, I, I felt robbed. I said, here I am, 25 years old, and where, where have these people been all these years? And, of course, I, uh, I'm a little older than that now, and I realize that my life wasn't over, but I felt that way then. I felt like, here's my life. It's gone. And nobody ever told me about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And so this is why those who have been lifted, who have felt the awful touch of sin, and, and, and who, who keep it fresh and do not forget it, then become, they cannot rest, but they must constantly be reaching out to those that are lost and, and finding a way to express this mercy of God unto those who know Him not. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and the sixteenth verse. Fourteenth verse. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What does that say? It says that Jesus felt the impact. Uh, he who lived in the flesh knows exactly what you and I have to go through, and therefore he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, our weaknesses, and therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy from God in the time of need. Okay. A couple of other thoughts we need to share, and that is because of this, then since God is merciful to us, we ought to show mercy to others who are in great need. Matthew 12, 7. I wonder if someone quickly... I need these Tom Thompson. Uh, Matthew 23, 23. Brother Van Dyke. Matthew 23, 23. James 2, 13. Sam Atkinson. And then we want to turn together to Matthew 18. 23 through 35. Matthew 12, 7. Tom Thompson, would you like to read that for us? Okay, Jesus is talking to these people, and he says, what you need to learn is uh, not so much religious ritual, but you need to learn what it really means to have pity on those who have need. Matthew 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you pay tithe of anise and cumin. The, see, the little plants that grow in your flower beds and all, you're so careful and you plot that all out that you're going to be careful and nobody will ever accuse you of not tithing, but you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. See, woven into the very warp of the revelation of the living God is that you and I need to display the qualities which are in God Himself. James 2.13 And he shall have mercy without judgment, who show uh, a judgment without mercy, who shows no mercy, but mercy rejoices in judgment. Peter said, "Lord, my brother sinned against me. How many times am I going to let him get away with this?" <laughs> seven times, and Jesus said, seventy times seven. If he sins and comes and said, "Tom, man, I'm really sorry that I did that." Say, but you told me that last time. Say, but I am. I really am, Tom, this time. And then two weeks later, he comes again and said, Tom, you know what? I'm really sorry that I did that. Would you forgive me? Said, I forgave you last time. I'm sick and tired of hearing this. But wouldn't you forgive me one more time? Okay, but never again. How many times? Seventy times. Seven. In Matthew 18, 23, 35, this is how we find the human heart. This is where the devil gets in to the human heart and, uh, and uh, there is no forgiveness. And you know the parable. Okay, to cut time short, here's a, here's a man, he's a steward uh, of, a, of, a, of a wealthy landowner. And so uh, he, uh, he becomes indebted to this man $10 million. And so he calls him to an accounting and said, I want to I balance the books. And he says, uh, I, you're $10 million short. Where's the $10 million? He said, I, I can't. I don't know. It's gone. I, 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 I owe this to you, but I'm sorry. I can't pay it. He said, I want you to pay it now. He said, I, I, I don't have anything to pay. Have mercy on me. And he had compassion on him, and, and, he, and he forgave him. And he said, okay, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. You don't owe me one single penny. He said, thank you. I'll be indebted to you. I'll forever appreciate that. And so he runs out. And as he goes down the street, he meets Charles Medley, who owes him $20. And he says, Charles, where's the $20 you owe me? And Charles says, it's really a rough week, and I don't have it. And he says, you pay me now. He said, I don't have it. And he grabs him by the throat. He said, I'll kill you if you don't pay me. Now, isn't that insane? And so his master heard about this and called him in and he said, you mean to tell me that I forgave you $10 million and you have assaulted Charles Medley and would not forgive him that $20? He said, you know what I'm going to do with you? I'll put you into prison. And Jesus said, so shall everyone who forgive not his brother their trespasses. Okay. Now, mercy, you see, it's, it's, we can talk about God's mercy, but you see, we get it down to the practical realm where you and I live. And one of the great problems of the human heart, you see, is that they find an incapability. You owe God more than you could ever, 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 ever pay if you started now and lived uh, aeons of eternity without committing a single sin. You still are $10 million in debt to God. And so He forgives you that, 
and your brother or sister, someone in the body of Christ who has shortcomings. Amen. And you are so ungracious as to say, but I don't care. That's what they are, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they pay the penalty of their shortcomings. I guarantee you that your master who is in heaven will see that you pay every one of your shortcomings too. There's nothing as destructive to the human spirit, beloved, as a person who claims to know God but who is ungracious and unforgiving and bears grudges and will not overlook the shortcomings, failures, fallibilities, and sins of their fellow believer. And I can tell you already that the first thing you know, I'll tell you the symptoms. Here comes uh, a critical spirit. Then that critical spirit begins to go further than that, and, and, and it begins to be analytical. And first thing you know, you get very good at analyzing everybody. And then looking behind and, and seeing, uh, first of all, then you be, uh, third of all, then you begin to question their motives, their integrity, their character. And the first thing you know, you are a mess. There's nobody that's right but just you and the person that you're talking to and you're, you're questionable about them too. You know what, Chuck? There's nobody living for God but just me and you. And I don't know too about you, too much about you. Anybody ever meet anybody like that? I hope it never becomes me or you. The Lord bless you. The usher's waving at me. It's time to quit. Next week, something else.